0: Done. Eloise slammed her parchment on Leon's desk. Done, done, done. Two minutes to spare, said Leon, laughing. Sure, you don't want to. (laughs) No, it's done. All right, all right. And Leon, I need a day off. Leon raked his eyes over the parchment and let out a low whistle. Midgen, you can have anything you want. Harry Potter really said all of this? every word i had my wand record it you can hear it if you like leon waved impatiently not to check i just want to listen to it jesus midgen harry potter talking like this what did you do drug him eloise giggled no but look he said tapping the parchment ron weasley Ginny weasley oliver wood george weasley marine knight serious bloody black Midgeon, were you a spy in the war? Eloise shook her head, grinning so hard her cheeks hurt. No, not a spy, I promise. Well, anyway, here. Leon thrust the parchment into none other than John Prattleby's hands. Prattleby had been hovering annoyingly about, but for the first time, Eloise wasn't worried. She stood up straight and offered Prattleby as sweet a smile as she could muster. "'Thanks, John. Let me know if there's anything you need clarified.' And she turned on her heel and walked briskly back to her desk, where Colin was waiting, legs and arms crossed, as he leaned against the lip. "'You done, then?' he said. "'Just about. I should hang around, though. Wait for Prattleby to do a nice hatchet job on my article. That's always great fun.' Colin snorted. "'I'd like to see him try, on this story.' A warm feeling of contentment had spread so far through Eloise that she didn't even correct Colin's praise. Prattleby wasn't going to do much to the story. It was good. Very good. Her best yet. The best she'd get for quite a while. She couldn't believe it was written and done with. The interview had ended close to ten o'clock, leaving her exactly an hour to work. She and Colin had raced back to the newsroom as if their clothes were on fire. Eloise scribbling the entire time. Colin had run off to the dark room so fast she didn't even see him go, and she had thrown her cloak to the side, spread her transcript and notes out on her desk, and had written like a woman possessed. No one had dared come near her while she was writing, not even Leon. Now Eloise sat at her desk and rested her head on it, watching the newsroom traffic with tired eyes. The last minutes of production were underway and as long as the day had been, and as badly as Eloise needed sleep, she knew she wasn't going anywhere. She wanted a copy of her exclusive, and she wanted it before she left the office. There was an empty picture frame sitting in her flat, waiting for a story like this. It would be full before she went to bed. Maybe she'd act like a total loser, and ask Harry to sign it. Hey, did you see Sweeney's piece on night? asked Colin, softly nudging the top of her head. "'Eloise sat up. "'No. "'Is it good? "'It's great. "'Here.' "'Colin handed her a piece of parchment "'that looked like it had been through four editors' hands, "'and together they read through the article. "'They were just up to the part about Knight mysteriously leaving "'the Ballycastle Bats—' "'Guess their keeper wasn't handsome enough,' joked Colin, "'when someone cleared his throat. "'John Prattleby stood before them. "'Eloise braced herself. "'That was an excellent piece, Midgen.' he said. Front page has it now. Good work. He gave a little half-nod, and one to Colin, and sauntered off. Eloise turned slowly to look at Colin. What just happened? Colin laughed. Nothing that wasn't deserved. Oh, stop! You haven't even read the article yet, said Eloise, blushing. I know, said Colin, without changing expression. So, when the issue is done, how about we— Midgeon! Jim Scrine screamed from across the newsroom, "Gold! This is gold!" Scrine sprinted over, a few newspapers clutched in his fist. "Here you go-first issues!" Eloise took the paper with a trembling hand. McCall's game piece, under a small, "Potter Plays," ran in one column down the left hand side of the page. The rest was taken up by a five column headline with an exclusive tag waving off the end. The featured picture showed Harry, smiling as he lay battered and bruised in the hospital ward, encircled by his family. Next to it, in print just big enough to make Eloise's heart lurch, were the words, By Eloise Midgen, Daily Prophet Correspondent. Wow, she breathed. Nice, huh? said Scrine, grinning widely. Good work, both of you. Eloise barely looked up to thank him as he walked away. Eloise leaned back in her chair and looked up at Colin, who was grinning even more widely than Skrine had been. "'Wait, don't read it,' said Colin, settling himself on Eloise's desk with his copy of the paper in his hands. "'Let me.' "'Potter finally flying high,' he read. "'The boy who lived speaks about professional Quidditch, family, and life after Voldemort.' That's really snappy," Eloise giggled. I didn't write that part. Moving on, by Eloise Midgen, Daily Prophet Correspondent. Harry Potter is Happy He's just fallen forty feet from a broomstick, his right side is battered as if beaten by a giant, and tomorrow he'll return to work over the icy waters of Azkaban Island, on a Ministry of Magic task force assigned to keep Dementors from escaping the prison. Yet, as he sits in the Chudley Cannon's hospital wing, propped up on pillows and physically numbed by a litany of pain-killing charms, Harry Potter is surprisingly content. Of course, it helps that Potter has just made his professional Quidditch debut, having been literally pulled from the stands to step in for the Cannon's injured seeker. It helps that he has just played his first real game since Hogwarts, where he was Gryffindor's star performer it helps that he has just pulled off a miraculous victory his stunning capture of the snitch allowing the cannons to overcome rotten trickery from the opposition to retain their unblemished season record but the thing that's really making harry potter smile is grouped protectively around his bedside displaying worried expressions freckles ginger hair and eyes red from too much joy it's his family serious black Remus Lupin and a horde of Weasleys surround him, fuss over him, treat him as though he were born into their ranks. Potter has never known this kind of attention, and to look at him, glowing over their simple presence, is to know how much he's needed it. I never thought about having a family, said Potter. It just seems the kind of thing you only get one of, and Voldemort killed his. So when Potter says that it's just luck that brought him to the people he now calls family, perhaps he's right. Rubbish, says Ron Weasley, who Potter has known since his first train ride on the Hogwarts Express. Luck is nothing to do with it. Our mum saw him at King's Cross and wouldn't let us alone until we took him in. He's a bit of a nuisance, really, always getting us into trouble, Weasley jokes. There's partial truth to that statement. Until recently potter's life was constantly under threat it's strange with voldemort gone says potter i don't know if i ever really believed he would be he is and potter killed him thanks to an immensely complex spell empowered by his newfound family's love for their newfound brother six months after that legendary battle potter's family is still protecting him even when there isn't much they can do just tonight As Potter fell from a horrifying height from his teammate's Firebolt 5, this clan, who had been watching the game with white knuckles, jumped barriers, barreled through security, and threatened to hex anyone that stood between them and the injured Potter. The Quidditch, the game, the save, the victory, yes, all of that helps. But having his family around him when he woke up in the hospital wing? It was perfect, says Potter. I couldn't ask for, well maybe one thing. I wish Hermione were here. He's referring to Hermione Granger, his other best friend, and Ron Weasley's girlfriend, who has been in Cortona since September, studying the subtle craft of thinking. She would have enjoyed this, though she might have had a heart attack first. Not to worry, mate, says Ron Weasley, patting a pair of omnoculars. I have it all saved. She can have her kittens soon enough." After spending almost all of the first eighteen years of his life unwillingly embroiled in a war, he did nothing, short of being born to Godric Gryffindor's bloodline, to start. One might expect Potter to pack his post-bellum schedule with nothing but lazy afternoons, nights at the pub, and perhaps a quidditch scrimmage here and there. If you think so, you don't know Potter. Barely two weeks after the war ended, Potter was, quite literally, on the field again, trying out for a Quidditch team for the first time, for his old school captain and the Chudley Cannon's current sergeant, Oliver Wood. I thought I'd just see what happened, Potter shrugs. I don't know what I was expecting, trying out. Certainly not an easy ride. Wood doesn't get his reputation as a slave driver's taskmaster for nothing. Potter spent his first ever summer away from Muggle society at the Quidditch pitch training from as early as 6 a.m. until as late as 4 p.m., with no guarantee he'd make the final cut, not even when his old schoolmate was captain. "'Oliver didn't even notice me at first, says Potter. "'I showed up, and he just yelled at me to get into the air.' "'Oh, I knew he was there,' said Wood. "'You can't miss Harry Potter on a broom. "'But the little bugger made it onto my team without trying out once, "'and I'll be damned if it was going to happen again. "'Besides,' he had some fair competition. Maureen Knight, ex-Ballycastle bat, such a threat to the opposition that she was injured before tonight's game even started, willing to make a seeker-shaped hole in the ground if it means getting the snitch. We fought for it good, laughed Knight. I went home aching every night. Potter drove me so mad. In the end, Wood granted the first-string seeker position to Potter. IT'S NOT THAT KNIGHT DIDN'T HAVE IT, SAYS WOOD, SHE HAD IT IN SPADES, BUT POTTER AND QUIDDITCH, THAT'S ART, WITH HIM AS FIRST AND KNIGHT AS SECOND, I KNEW THE CANONS WOULD CONQUER, THEN POTTER GOT THAT BLOODY OWL FROM THE MINISTRY. WOOD GROWLS A LITTLE AS HE TALKS ABOUT THE MINISTRY, AND any one WHO IS THANKFUL TO POTTER FOR HIS CONQUEST WOULD GROWL TOO, THE WIZARDING WORLD AT LARGE PROBABLY WANTS NOTHING MORE THAN TO SEE POTTER PLAY QUIDDITCH FOR A LIVING enjoy the rest of his youth, and never, ever have to wrestle with the dark force again. Perhaps that last bit is wishful thinking, but it's not out of line to think Potter should steer clear of heroism for a few years at least, or even a few months. On the very same day, indeed, directly after Wood made his Quidditch position announcements, Potter received an urgent owl from the Ministry, asking for help. The Permanent Azkaban Patrol, P.A.P., was having difficulty rounding up the nine dragon-riders they needed to effectively surround the tiny prison island with the natural, positive energy dragons emit, which staves off Dementors. The Dementors, restless now that the free reign they enjoyed while Voldemort was in power has been stripped, constantly threaten to escape Azkaban and infiltrate civilization, as there is no known enchantment to destroy a Dementor, Acting Minister of Magic Arthur Weasley devised a plan to entrap them in the short term. A round-the-clock patrol of dragons keeps the Dementors at bay. They're cunning and they're evil, though, and have been known to try and use the smallest gap in coverage as a wedge or join forces to attack one rider. "'We all told him not to take it,' says Ron Weasley. "'But Harry couldn't say no. He just couldn't. "'I went to Azkaban because it felt important,' says Potter." I love Quidditch, but helping Mr. Weasley and the rest of the ministry felt like it was what I should do." And so Potter went, leaving behind his childhood joy, to pursue adult duty, again. Harry could never have lived with himself if he had chosen what he wanted over what needed to be done, says Remus Lupin, once Potter's Defense Against the Dark Arts Professor, who was one of Potter's deceased parents' closest friends. He's just like his father that way. The job, however, is getting harder each day. Recent events suggest that the dragon's power is weakening. There are only nine riders, and the shifts are long. The dragons are growing irritable and sickly, and are prone to tossing their riders into the sea. If a beast the size of a hundred men can feel a Dementor's presence, it stands to reason that the riders could also be exposed. But don't expect Potter to tell you that he's affected by the Dementor's presence. Don't expect him to mope or want pity for having to stave off Voldemort four times before he was of wizarding age. Don't even expect him to be worried at the idea of another dark force rising within his lifetime. Someone gave me good advice about that once, he said, looking pensive. If it happens, we'll fight. We'll try and stop it. There's no use worrying about it now. What's coming will come. We'll meet it when it does." Somewhere, the owner of that quote, the late Rubius Hagrid, keeper of keys and grounds at Hogwarts, is smiling. Quidditch Lesson number 1 by Oliver Wood Get It or Die Trying When Maureen Knight was knocked out in tonight's pregame by an arguably intentional hit by Kestrel Tim Boomer, now suspended for cheating during the game, the future of the cannon's undefeated record seemed bleak. So when Potter showed up on the field, after being literally thrown out of the stands by Ron Weasley, a lifetime Chudley Cannon fanatic, and one of the many people who had no idea Potter was second reserve for the team, Woods said he felt as if his dreams had come true. Potter was just as stunned. He made me sign that paper saying I'd be second reserve, and I only did it because I felt so bad about leaving the team before I had really been on it," says Potter. I never in a million years thought to-night would happen. It's that bloody nobility complex of his that made him sign it, jokes Ron Weasley. At least it's finally come in useful. Wood immediately substituted Potter for Knight, giving him a very short explanation of the Kestrel's key maneuvers, a quick demonstration of a Firebolt 5, and a very old, very useful piece of advice. Get it or die trying. He's used that advice once before, during a very memorable match in Potter's second year. Both times he said it, Potter did nearly die, at Hogwarts, because of a tampered bludger that nearly took his head off. Tonight, because of an opposing seeker who nearly took his arm off. But Potter also caught the snitch, both times, and Wood makes no apologies for his overzealous advice tactics, even when George Weasley calls him a raving lunatic. It was wonderful, says Potter of his return to the pitch, I'd forgot, really, what it was like to play a real game. He belongs up there, proclaims Ginny Weasley. Potter and Ginny are rumored to be dating. but ask either of them about it, and they'll turn identical shades of scarlet and change the subject back to Quidditch. He was always most at home in the air. He could stay there, too. It's only another half year until the next tryouts. Potter makes no promises. I don't know what's going to happen. Perhaps if the problems are solved at Azkaban, perhaps then. "I'd like to play Quidditch," he says, in a way that makes you think work will be just a little harder from now on. "He'll go, though; he'll go right back to work, because that's Harry Potter. Even as he sits, transformed, in the Cannon's Hospital wing, safe and content for the first time in his young but long life, he's still Harry Potter, his parent's child. "'You have no idea,' says an emotional, serious black, talking to Potter, his godson. "'When you were little, we used to float you around and joke that one day you'd—' "'And you did.' "'Yes, he did.' "'Eloise. Wow!' Colin was still staring at the paper. Eloise could only see the crown of his sandy head shaking from side to side. "'You wrote that in an hour?' Eloise laughed, much louder than she'd intended to. It was such a relief, sitting here with the article printed. It was as if she hadn't worked all evening, though her vaguely aching bones said otherwise. Yes, she said faintly, seeing visions of her bed dance before her eyes. Hey, Colin tapped her over the head with the paper. Are you with me? Oh, yes, I'm here. I'm just so tired. She needed to just fall down and rest a while. Quickly, so she couldn't talk herself out of it, Eloise folded her arms over Colin's nearest knee and rested her head upon them. She closed her eyes. He was so warm and calm. He'd never been that way at school. But then, she thought ruefully, a lot of things had changed since school. Colin stroked the top of her head gently, pulling hair away from her cheek. ELOISE WONDERED IF ANYONE NOTICED THEM SITTING THERE IN THE NEWSROOM THIS WAY. PRATTLEBY WOULD HAVE NEW REASONS TO SCOWL AT HER BY MORNING, BUT SUDDENLY IT DIDN'T MATTER SO MUCH. HAVE YOU EATEN? SAID Colin OUT OF NOWHERE. ELOISE MADE A FACE. OH, FOOD. I FORGOT, BUT I CAN'T, I NEED SLEEP. I KNOW. SO, HOW ABOUT WE MEET AFTER WE BOTH GET A GOOD NIGHT'S REST? HIS VOICE SOUNDED STRANGE. "'Strained. Maybe tomorrow night at eight? At at moonlights?' Eloise sat up straight. "'Moonlights. Dinner. Dancing. Ambiance?' "'Yes.' She looked at Colin's face. He wasn't joking. If anything, he looked rather nervous. "'Yes,' she said, unable to stop herself from grinning. "'I'd love to.' "'Good!' He was grinning, too. For nearly a minute, they did nothing but grin at each other. "'Hey! you hoo Hello! Hello!' It was Leon. "'Yes,' said Eloise, not turning. "'Just checking to see what you were up to,' said Leon, and Eloise could hear the snicker in his voice. "'Couldn't interest you two in an assignment. Tomorrow night there's a—' "'No!' they had both said it, instantly. "'Sorry, Leon,' Eloise giggled. "'Is it important?' "'Not really,' and his left eye twitched with mischief. "'Sweeney can do it. I was just testing. "'Go the hell home, Midgen. Get out of my newsroom. "'No problems here. See you Tuesday, Leon.' "'She grabbed her cloak and swung it around her shoulders. "'My flat's on the way,' said Colin. "'I'll walk you.' "'Colin offered his arm, and Eloise took it, "'feeling rather grand despite the massive amounts of ink "'that had, over the course of the night,' landed on her hands and robes. It was cold at midnight, and Colin tugged Eloise closer as they stepped outside. As they walked up the cobbled, lamp-lit lane together, pointing out non-existent constellations and laughing at their own silliness, Eloise thought of Harry, and not counting everything else he'd done, how much she now owed him. How very, very much."